welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, so if this is your first time here tonight, uh, we're in 1 John, so like I said earlier, you guys can begin to turn there, chapter 5. If you didn't hear earlier the page number, I think it's 598, but it's also just go to the very back and go left and you'll get there uh, before too long. First, uh, first John, second John, third John, and Revelation. There's Jude, Jude something there somewhere. So, uh, yeah, but, but another thing I would like to say just by way of introduction, um, I'm impressed. I'm not saying this to flatter you, but I am impressed that you're here. Like, that, that's, I think that's awesome. I think uh, there's a million different things that you could be doing, and I understand that. Uh, and I think it's really awesome that you chose to, yeah, just spend the night uh, examining God's word, worshiping, doing that. I think that that's, uh, fantastic. What, whether or not you're, maybe, maybe you grew up in church and this is a perfectly normal thing for you and this is just another thing that you've, that you've done your whole life, or uh, if you're on the other end of the spectrum maybe and you you've don't know much about this at all, maybe you just kind of stumbled in here and you're not sure what to think about all that singing and stuff, uh, wherever you are, I'm really glad you're here and I hope that tonight will be encouraging for you and that you'll, you'll learn something from God's word. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just, it's my prayer that this BSM and that the, the, if you're not a Christian, you know, I'm hoping that this BSM would exemplify the kind of love that we're talking about tonight. Because uh, I, I know as, as Christians, we should all be the first to admit that we worship a perfect savior, but that doesn't make us perfect and we're very fallible. So uh, if you're not a Christian, try to have patience with us and we'll, uh, we'll try to return the favor, <laughs> okay? So uh, yeah, as we study the Bible, uh, I believe God speaks to us through his word. And so the question we have is, are we, are we going to listen? Are we going to focus and we're going to have this time? So I've already prayed. So with that in mind, let's just uh, start and do it really simple. Read the text together. So 1 John chapter 5, uh, we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. So I'll read that for us. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves who has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. All right. We're going to fly through this. This is going to be fast. I'm going to talk fast. I hope that's okay. We have like 25 minutes, so we're just going to go through it. We're fast and furious. Okay, so I have the weird task of like not knowing what you guys have really focused on. I mean, I know that you've been in First John for a while. I know that you did John, the book of John last semester, uh, but there's a lot that you could you know, take out and focus on certain areas. So, and I also know that some of you maybe haven't been here. You've been here once or twice. Uh, maybe it's even your first time. So I want to try to give you a little bit of context because if we don't read the Bible with context, we're going to come out with some faulty understandings, right? So uh, 
I just wanted to point out a couple of things that I've noticed as I've read 1 John, both in preparation for tonight, but also just over the course of my life. Um, so the book is, you may have noticed, it's, it's rel- relatively repetitive, and it's, it's, it's somewhat simple, at least thematically. So, so John is more or less saying over and over again in various ways that a follower of Christ, uh, a true follower of Christ, Christ will show love both for God and for his neighbor, for those around him. Uh, and especially, especially, we're going to look at tonight, especially for those that also call themselves Christians. So there's a, there's a special love that Christians have amongst themselves that we'll look at. So when I say repetitive, I, I don't mean that in like a derogatory way. I know that, that can sound like we, some of us don't like repetition, but the reality is, if we're honest, a lot of us are kind of slow learners, right? Uh, anyone want to admit that they've maybe made some of the same mistakes over and over again? We need to be told the same thing over and over, and over again sometimes because we don't understand or we don't, it doesn't sink in. So for example, when we read something like verse two, we just read it, it says, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Okay, well, that's pretty similar to something that he says in chapter two, verse four, and chapter three, verse six. And there's other verses that are similar. You probably even noticed some repetition in the section that we just read. So does anybody in here, you, you read that verse two, anybody want to say, oh yeah, I never mess up on that. Like, I'm good. I have no, I have no sin in my life, no ongoing sin. Well, um, you probably don't want to get too high and mighty on that, right? You don't, you don't want to say that. And we'll look at some examples of why. But one powerful example uh, in the life, the life and testimony of Jesus in Luke 18, he tells this story, right, about a tax collector and a Pharisee. And we don't have time to go into the specifics of all that, but basically the, the tax collectors back in that day, right, they did not have a good reputation. If you've studied John, you know that. You know Jesus clashed with them. Uh, sorry, the, the Pharisees. He had a bad relationship with the Pharisees. Uh, the tax collector was considered this, this terrible sinner by the, by the population, uh, but the, and, the, and the Pharisee was this religiously elite group and class. Um, just needless to say, the, the religiously elite people, the ones who are supposed to know God and understand his law, they didn't get along very well with Jesus. And for those of, for, so for those of us who are Christians who grew up in the church, that should give us pause because we are and for the most part, the religious people, and yet we can miss it just as bad sometimes, if not worse, because we claim that we know God, and then we represent Jesus poorly to those around us. So we need to pause and think about that. But we mentioned a few other things about the book being simple. So uh, if you notice that it has real, sometimes some really strange like chapter divisions, you're like reading along chapter one, and you, you get to the end of it, and then chapter two comes along, and well, so I'm going to read this for you. So the, the end of chapter one, you can flip over there if you want. Uh, the last couple of verses, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you see what I was talking about earlier? We don't want to be the one claiming we don't have any sin because we don't want to make God a liar. So then you get this weird chapter division, right? Chapter two, it says, my children, uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So why is he telling us the end of chapter 1, verses 9 through 10? Well, if we were just doing a Bible study and we ended in chapter 1 and we just said, I'm just going to read chapter 1, and we cut it off right there, we would kind of have to wonder, like, okay, why did he just tell us that? But if we just keep on reading, if we read for context a little bit, then we get a really clear explanation. The very next verse after chapter 1 says, I'm writing these, these, these things to you so that, anytime you see so that in the Bible, this is a Bible reading tip, if you see so that, look at what came before uh, and just please, 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 and I, I need to be reminded of this myself, right? Uh, don't read the Bible one little snippet at a time, um, especially not First John. And if you think about it, you don't really do that with anything else. So I'm going to give you an example here. Are, are any of you navigating like the thrilling world of dating? 
Yeah, maybe a few people in here. Are you dating someone? Uh, maybe you're not. Uh, if you are, God bless you. I'm in the trenches with you. Uh, but if you're not, you know, singleness is a gift, right? We all have heard it. It might be the gift that you want to return to Walmart, but it is a gift. And that's another sermon for another time. But okay, so let's just say theoretically you have someone that you're dating. Uh, you, you get a letter from your sweetheart. Okay, would you just be like, would you open up the letter and go, hmm, I think I'll start by reading the third paragraph. Let me just read the third paragraph, okay, and not really worry about the rest. So this completely fictitious hypothetical that we're going into is about to get really dark. So you ready? So let's just say the letter says, uh, and so this is why I don't think we should be together anymore. God is really telling me that we need to break up. Okay, so that's always great to hear, right? Because then you're like, well, I guess God and my significant other are against me on this, my former significant other at this point. So if you read that, if you read that third paragraph, would you say to yourself, hmm, I wonder what the word this means. When she says this is why, uh, let me speculate. Let me think about maybe what, what she wrote originally. Maybe this is just a copy. Would you say, what does the word together mean here? What does she mean by be together? No, right? You would read before, you would read after. You would make sure the letter was addressed to you, not the other person this person's now dating, right? Okay, I told you it was gonna get dark. So if we get this, if we get this concept that we have to read for context, right? We all, yes, duh, I read for context. I learned that in elementary school. Then why sometimes when we read the Bible, do we just wring our hands and be like, I just don't understand it. We just, it's because sometimes we don't, we approach the Bible as if it's this just categorically different thing. And yes, in a lot of ways it is. It's, we Christians believe that it's inspired by God. And so it is categorically different. It's a book from God, but it's also a piece of literature, right? It's humans also wrote it. The Christians don't believe that God just dropped the Bible out of, out of the sky and it landed in our laps. No, he used human authors to write it. And it was divinely inspired by God. Again, another sermon for another time, but we get that and we get the idea of reading for context, but sometimes we don't. And, I, and, and there are a lot of reasons why that might be the case, but I think all of you, if, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian and you're exploring, you would say, man, I, I wanna understand the Bible better. Well, one easy step that you can do, go on YouTube, go search how to read the Bible. The YouTube channel is called The White Horse Inn. It's a very weird name. They have a three minute, 30 second video that I guarantee you if you watch it, it'll really help you as you try to seek and understand uh, God's word. And here at the BSM, something we're really serious about, right? Is trying to help you understand and navigate through this. And I know you guys in your connect groups, y'all have a chance to sit down and try to apply some of the things that we're talking about tonight, right? Um, the BSM is serious about trying to help you understand God's word. Uh, so that's what I mean by um, thematically simple. When I say it's relatively simple, that's, that's what I meant by it being uh, repetitive. But when I say relatively simple, I mean like compared, if you guys have read like Romans or 1 Corinthians, right? This is, those books have a lot of things going on. Uh, Paul's addressing a lot of different topics. Uh, like I said, 1 John is a little bit different in that he's going to give us some really, really clear purpose statements of why he's writing. So a purpose statement is when the author just comes right out and tells you, this is why I'm writing these things. So I think some of you at this point are probably thinking, just teach me verses 1 through 12. I've been there, and I'm going to be obnoxious and go to verse 13 really quick and impede on whoever's teaching next week. So sorry about that, but here we go. Go to verse 13. We just read 1 through 12. Read verse 13 with me. It says, he says, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That's the theme of this thing, that you may know. So you see what I mean about reading an extra verse? Okay, that'll really help us as we think about verses 1 through 12. Now, when he says these things in verse 13, it could mean particularly what he just wrote, right? Verses 1 through 12. It could mean the book in general. Either way, verses 1 through 12 included in the book in general. So the purpose statement that we just read in verse 13, which a lot of people say that covers the entire book, if you read what scholars say, 
It includes verse one, verses 1 through 12. So as we read 1 through 12, we have to know the purpose statement because it'll help us understand what it's talking about. So, okay, now let's get into, let's get in, we'll go verse by verse for a couple minutes. I'm gonna try to focus on what the passage says about God and what it says about us. And then when you guys get in your groups, you can have a few minutes to talk about application, what stood out to you, uh, and you can ask questions about it. You can come ask me questions later about this too. So just know that that's an option. So, okay, verse one says, everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. So if you were gonna put that another way, he might be saying, everyone who says they love God loves God's people or the church. This, like I said, I'm gonna try to limit the application, but this one's too good to pass up. This kind of flies in the face of a modern thing that you hear a lot. Like, I love God, I love, I love Jesus, but I, I don't really love the church. Okay, this, this verse is gonna say, hey, you can't really do that. And we'll talk a little bit about why. So the reality for those of us who are, who are Christians, those of us who are in Christ, is that we love our brothers and sisters. That's what this text is saying. And there's a reason that we get this adoption picture so much throughout the Bible, right? We've been adopted into this new family. Um, do any of you have siblings? Do you, do you ever get mad and frustrated at your siblings? Oh man, my brother and I, we used to fight. I used to despise my brother. And my parents would always say, um, hey, like when you get older, you and your brother are gonna be really close friends. And I said, you are certifiably insane because he was a little brother, right? So he did little brother things. Are there any of you little brothers? Okay, we'll, we'll, have, to work, we'll have to work on that. Um, but little brothers, they do little brother things. I'm an older brother. I'm sure I have a lot of annoying things that I do. Um, but I would tell my parents they were crazy. And here we are in 2019, he's one of my best friends. So my point in saying that is, are you always going to like what your siblings do? Are you gonna like the things that they do? Is everything that they do always gonna please you? Well, no, but at the end of the day, they're your family and, and you love them because they're your family. And yes, like I, I, when I look at the church and the status of the church, it's easy for me to look at what professing Christians do and get kind of frustrated, right? I just say, oh man, I just want you to represent Christ well to the world. But if I look in the mirror and take the plank out of my own eye, I see, man, I do some things sometimes. I don't always live according to the same standards. So those of us who have been who are Christians who have received the grace of God understand that we need to extend that same grace to those, uh, to those who are fe- our fellow brothers and sisters, obviously, but also to the world around us. And Ben Stewart says all the time, he says, grace, grace received, the grace that we receive from God becomes grace extended. If we've really received it, we will naturally, our heart will change and we will want to extend it to others. Do we always do it perfectly? No, I think we would all admit we don't always do it perfectly, but uh, our, we, the Holy Spirit works with us on that and shaping our hearts and our, and our minds uh, to love, especially, according to this text, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, verses two through three, so it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So love for God and love for others interrelated and connected here. So what, what are his commandments? When he says you obey the commandments, well, what are those? So it could be like in general, the commands and precepts in scripture that God tells us to live by and, and instructs us. But uh, again, earlier context in the book might give us a better idea of what John is particularly referring to when he says commandments. So look at chapter three, verse 23, if you want. Chapter three, verse 23. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. I'll read it for you. It says, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, that we believe in him and love one another just as he has commanded us. So this is wholly consistent, right, with what Jesus says back in Matthew 22. Some of you are familiar with the greatest commandment. The Pharisees come to him and say, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And he says in Matthew 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you'll love your neighbor as yourself. 
uh, on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So when we talk about commandments, he's saying that you love God, that you love others. If you do both of those two things, you will be well on your way to obey. And of course, the commandments have a lot of other specifics, and there's, there's, they get spelled out in details because we're, we're, we're slow. We don't always get it, right? Uh, it kind of reminds me of Dwight Schrute when he talks about being an idiot, right? And he says, I ask myself, would an idiot do this? And if the answer is yes, then I do not do that thing, right? So when, we, when we're approaching our Christian life and our, the things that we're doing, we need to ask ourselves, is this loving to do? If, if it's loving, do it. If it's not, don't do it. And granted, I understand that that's really overly simplistic. There are plenty of times where sometimes we, a brother and sister in Christ needs a bit of a rebuke of something that they're doing, and there's, there's definitely a place for that. But that is, actually, that is the best way sometimes to show love is by showing, you guys know the phrase, tough love, right? Sometimes that's what we need to do. If we're honest, we don't like doing that very much because deep, deep down, we want people to like us. That's, that's my biggest problem when it comes to gently instructing fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I say, man, I just deep down really want them to like me. I need to get over it because God's word tells me to gently, when I see a brother in error, I go to them one-on-one and I say, hey, this, this thing that you're living out is not representing of Jesus and you need to, you need to change that. And that's, I know that's hard, but that's what we're called to do. So moving into verse four, he says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. So I don't have time to go into all the details on this, but uh, John's using the word world in kind of a weird way here. And forgive me if you guys have already talked about this a little bit, but when he's talking about the world, he's, he's, he means it like in an ethical sense. Uh, he's like, the world like represents humanity in general. And throughout the book, he's going to contrast it with the church. So you've got, these, you've got the world and you've got the church. And the church is, again, everyone who trusts and believes in Jesus. And he's saying, church, you're to be distinct from the world. And this is, this is a very similar to, thing, similar thing to what Paul does in his letters when he talks about uh, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. He's not talking about like your literal flesh. He's saying the life of the flesh, and he goes into all these laundry lists of terrible things, and life in the spirit is different, following God, loving him, and in this case, obeying his commandments. It's the same thing. John's just using world in an ethical sense in the church. So he, he very likely might be thinking about, uh, since he wrote, he wrote the book, right? The, the Gospel of John in John 16.33, because the phrase is really reminiscent of what Jesus says in the upper room. Uh, after assuring the disciples that they're going to be hated, they're going to be persecuted for following Jesus. Uh, this is, you can find it in John 15 and 16. Jesus predicts that they'll, they're, they're going to scatter, right? And that they're, they're, they're going to abandon him. Despite all this, he says they shouldn't be discouraged because he says, I have conquered the world. That's, the NIV says, I have overcome the world in 16.33. So when he uses this, world, this word victory, victory. When we talk about victory in the Christian life, it, it often takes a shape that is different than we think of when we think of victory in general. Like when you guys think of a victory, you're thinking like, I won a trophy. I won a contest. Um, you're thinking about like a triumphal moment that you had victory over something, victory in something. Um, happy thoughts, right? And now of course Christians have happiness and they have happy moments, um, but our, ours is much deeper than just mere happiness. One of my favorite bands says, happy is a yuppie word. And he, he says, the reality is for Christians that we have joy that isn't based on circumstance, right? Happiness is so often based on circumstance, but Christians have a deep uh, joy. We have a realistic view of the world that we get straight from Jesus when he tells us, hey, you are going to, you are going to encounter trials. Hard, challenging things are going to happen to you. You can count on that if you're a Christian. In fact, if you don't encounter any resistance, if following Jesus actually doesn't cost you anything, if you, if, if you just are a Christian, you never have to do anything that you don't really want to do deep down, uh, I don't know if it's the Jesus of the Bible that you're really following. If, you, if 
if your Christian faith, if your calling to Christ never challenges you and makes you have to perhaps give up certain things, Jesus says we've got to take up our cross and follow him daily. And that can look different. We all have, we all have things that we're having to let go of uh, to follow Jesus. And if we aren't, again, uh, man, we might be following something, but we might be following the Jesus that we made up. And we don't get to do that, right? Jesus is who he is. Uh, and that's following him is worth it. He's, it's worth it every time. So we will encounter this, but we don't suffer. When we talk about victory in the Christian life, we don't suffer and go through things without, uh, without hope. We have Christ, right, as a sure and steady anchor. And our only true victory, at least in the final sense, Christian victory in the final sense, is achieved in so much as we are in Christ. And that word in Christ, that's a fancy Christian way of saying that we're his, that we belong to him, that he's our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Uh, the book of Ephesians uses in Christ like gajillion times. It's a technical seminary word. And it's an all or nothing proposition whether or not we're, whether or not we're his. That's what he says in, in chapter 5, uh, verse 12 that we read earlier. We're either in Christ, united with him through the gospel, or we're not. So I want to summarize verses 6 through 12 for the sake of time. I don't want to paraphrase uh, Danny Aiken. I think his explanation is really helpful here. So to summarize 6 through 12, again, we'd, I wish I had time, but I had to kind of focus on the front end. Um, 6 through 12 are linguistically united, he says, around the theme of witness or testimony. Okay, th- words that you often have heard BSM people talk about. Witness and testimony is really important to us, really important to all of us as believers. So this word witness occurs no fewer than nine times. So another, again, this repetition that's happening. The ESV translate, translates that as, as testimony or witnesses of testimony if you read in the ESV, which most of you guys have, I think. So John's purpose is to show that there is more than adequate evidence to show that Jesus is the Son of God who provides eternal life. When he talks about the evidence that's being presented, the blood, the spirit, the water, that's what he's talking about. Test, this testimony presents itself in different but unified voices. Again, going back to what he's saying. So John says that Jesus is the one who came by water and by blood. He's referring right to his, to his birth, his baptism, and then eventually the blood to his crucifixion. So all throughout Jesus' life are a testimony to who he is and what he did. So he says that Jesus is the one who came by water, blood, a fact to which the Spirit then testifies to that. You guys remember at the baptism, he gets baptized and the Spirit comes down, this is my son who I'm well pleased, with whom I'm well pleased. So since it's God who has given this witness, God is the one who showed this and revealed this, that Christians should readily embrace that witness. And those who believe in God's testimony have assurance that confirms that uh, for them. And then he says that those who reject that testimony, those who see the testimony that God has given and reject it, John's going to say, are in effect saying, God, what you said is not true. So God, you are a liar. And then they cut themselves off from eternal life, according to what John says. So remember that John's whole point here is to keep us uh, is, is to help us, I should say, know that we are his, right? That we may know what, this, what, what, what your thing says right here, what your slide says. So if you read this book as a Christian, if you come along to First John, you read the book as a Christian, and you doubt your salvation, I'm talking like you get in a, you get in a, in a moment in time where you're, I'm not sure. If you sit there and dwell in that state of status of doubt for a long period of time, you're doing exactly what John doesn't want you to do. And I understand that. I've, I've had moments in time where I've read First John and I'm like, man, this is challenging because I don't, this, some, this sometimes does not look like me, right? And I'm gonna talk about that here in a minute. So John wants you to know for sure one way or the other whether you're his, whether you have eternal life. So Christian, I'm gonna talk to the, Christian, to the Christians for a minute. If you read this book, you shouldn't evaluate your life based on some tiny little segment of time, some arbitrary like, how have I done in the last week? How have I done in the last two weeks? That's, that's not a safe way to go about this. You need to evaluate your life. Look on, like a, on a higher like macro level. Like when I'm talking with guys that maybe you're in a, a season of, of, of doubt and struggle and they're unsure, I think, well, man, 
what, what were you like at the beginning of the semester? Like, do you love Jesus more now than you did at the beginning of the semester? How about the, the beginning of last fall? Like, do you see an, a trajectory towards loving Christ more, towards following him, following him more closely, towards, towards what John says is evidence of this, that we love uh, the fellowship, we love our brothers and sisters? And yeah, do, do you, if the answer is no, then, if you say, man, I, I don't know, like the last six months have been really hard for me, if, if that's how you would answer it as a Christian, do you find yourself, though, wanting it to be true? Do you feel something that, if you think about that, if you say, man, yeah, the last six months have been bad, do you not like that? Like, do you, does that, does that grieve you a little bit? Not grief over your guilt, but grief over that you haven't been walking with, closely with God. So only you really can know that. Well, like, you and God can really know that deep down. I love what Keller says in his book on prayer. I can't go through a sermon without talking about something Tim Keller says. So he says, the infallible test of spiritual vitality is your private prayer life. And he can say that because it's the only thing that you can't fake, right? Like you could walk in here like all put together and like I'm here at this Christian event and I'm doing Christian-y things. But if you're honest, you can kind of put on a show. Uh, your private prayer life, you're exposed before God whether you like it or not. <laughs> God knows and he knows the status of your heart. And if you're in Christ, if you really do trust in him, Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for, for you. You can live in right relationship in union to God and in right relationship to him uh, right here, right now, if you're a Christian. So if you're not a Christian, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Um, thanks for being here, by the way. But I don't know like what you know. I don't know like what you walked in knowing about the gospel or maybe like what you, what you think you've heard. I mean, there's all kinds of ideas about there about, about Christians. But if you've maybe grown up thinking that Christianity is just this like moral checklist religion, this thing that I've got to like walk through and do all the right things, uh, I hear that. I hear that a lot, right? That's just not what the Bible tells us. We sang about grace and grace alone. I'll talk about grace here in a minute. And I, I hear all the time, maybe one of the reasons that people don't, don't call themselves Christians, they say, oh, well, like all religions are basically the same thing. They're teaching me how to be a good moral person. There's some sort of moral ladder that I need to climb. And the easiest way for me to, to respond, if you ever hear that, if you're a Christian and you hear that all religions are the same, you don't, you don't start by like just bashing other religions. That's not going to be helpful. But you can, you can identify and say, yeah, there's noble things in them. But, they're, but it's wrong to say that they're all the same. And it's because of the word grace. We sang about it earlier. Every other major faith basically says let me, be work, let me work really hard so that I can achieve some, stat, some status, some, some moral status, enlightenment, level of goodness that I might be acceptable to God or to spirits or to nature or something. And there's some sort of moral standard that they're trying to achieve. Well, Christianity comes along and says that your relationship with God, that your right status with God is received, not achieved. And that is a huge difference. That initial, the initial reception, if you're not a Christian, the initial reception of God's grace and mercy is based upon grace, and that comes at no cost to you, but great cost to God, according to the Bible. So Jesus says that what you need is not a moral checklist, but you need grace, and grace by definition, for it to be grace, it has to be unmerited, unmerited favor. That's what grace is. So if you had to do something to earn God's forgiveness, well, then it's not grace. So that's why Paul, a guy, a Paul, a guy who went around killing Christians, could say, the wages of sin is death. The things that we earn as, as a result of our sin is death and separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if you have to work for it, it's not a gift and it's not grace. Now, I said that that initial reception is at no cost to you, and I meant that. Christianity says that Christ died for us while we were still sinners, and that we're saved by faith alone, like we said, by grace alone, by Christ alone, apart from anything that we could do. I love that we read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I was going to quote it, so there you go. This, but maybe you would pause and say, isn't this book, isn't the book of John, 1 John, isn't it all about a change in life, a change in 
change, th- a change in status, a change in lifestyle so that you know you're his. Well, yes, but don't get the order of that wrong. If you get the order of that wrong, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So this book, again, is written to people who are already Christians, and it's crucial that we get that. He's going to address Christians over and over. Or we might be tempted to say to ourselves, man, if I read First John and I break some of these things that John is writing about, if I don't do this, if I don't do this moral checklist, I better get my moral checklist out and make sure that I'm doing it, otherwise I'm not a Christian. Well, here's the deal. If you go to your moral checklist and you're trusting in how good you kept the checklist, you're not really trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in how good you, check, you kept the checklist, right? And that's not what we're to do. We're to trust in Christ and his finished work, and then that results in a change of life. That results in some of these things that I've talked about, some of this love for fellow Christians. It's hard to muster up any of that love for others if you, don't, if you haven't received that love from, from God first, received that love from Christ first. So you might be letting, if you, if you do that, if you live by this moral checklist mentality, you might be letting God be the one who teaches you morality, you might be letting him set an example for you, but you're not trusting in him as savior. You're trusting him as your moral teacher, and those are different things, right? You need to trust in him to save you, and that, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is that we're messed up, right? We're a wreck, and I'm, 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 I was a wreck apart from the grace and mercy and love of God. I've been separated from him, and that God made a way through what Christ did for us. And if you're a Christian, man, sometimes we sit here and we hear the gospel being presented, and we just go, yeah, I got it. We shouldn't say that, right? The gospel, Keller says, the gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z. It's everything. It's everything to us. It empowers us. When we start to understand and grasp grace, that changes the way we relate to others. And um, so when we, place, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he wants to draw us into fellowship with him, to worship him. We're made to worship him, to know him, to love him. And then as a result of that, we, when we want to extend that offer to those that don't. We want to be a blessing to others. And the best way we can be a blessing to others is by sharing with them about the love that we've received and so if you don't know that, if, you don't, if you've never done that, uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. Any, any BSM person here would, would love, the person who brought you probably would love to do that. So, right, well, it's been fun being with you guys. Um, I think Stephanie's going to come up, and we, you guys will be dismissed to your groups. Thanks a bunch. Thank you, Brady. We will be dismissing to our groups in just a moment. If you somehow snuck in and didn't get... Uh, a name tag that had a number on it, and this is your first time. If you need a group, you can go see Zayna back at the uh, welcome table, and she will get you put into a group. Let me pray for us real quickly, and then I will dismiss you uh, to your group. So let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that we are saved by grace and grace alone, that it is not up to what I can do, but it is because of what Jesus has done. And so we're thankful for the hope that we have that, just as Brady said, that we may know that we have eternal life in you because of what Jesus has done. And so I pray that our conversations in our groups, God, would stir our affections for you. They would reveal more of you to us um, as we just discuss the text. So it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.